The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. We are here at the Health Evolution Summit at the Ritz-Carlton in Laguna Niguel. And I am joined now by Sean Duffy, who is the co-founder and CEO of Amada Health. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. Happy to be on. Happy to have you here. And we're sitting out in our cabana today, which is nice. It's not too hot a day. Yeah, and beautiful uh, weather, perfect temperature. That's There's a right, pool. Right. It's like, what, how, how can you complain? It, you can't <laughs> complain at all. But if people hear waterfalls or, you know, conversation in the background, <laughs> that's <chirping>. why. <laughs> um, so, Sean, one of the things I like to usually start with is, you know, I get to interview a lot of really smart, interesting people. Um, you have a fascinating background in the sense that you're a former MD, MBA uh, candidate at Harvard. You hold a BS in neuroscience from Columbia, so pretty good pedigree. And then post-school, you worked at both um, Google and IDEO. That's an interesting path to walk down, and it makes sense, I think, based on where you ended up, but how did you start down that path? It's fine. So I've always been a tech geek at heart that had a passion for the, at least the, the concept of having impacted with healthcare. Um, so grew up, dad was an engineer, my mom was a nurse. Um, ended up studying neuroscience in undergrad uh, at Columbia. When I graduated in 2006, uh, I had taken my pre-med recs, I'd done the MCAT, but at night at three in the morning, I'd be reading tech blogs. And this, it was such a fun time in Silicon Valley history. And I, I frankly, I just panicked a little bit about applying to med school. It seemed like one of those things where it's long and expensive and you should be pretty sure you want to do it um, before going. So I scratched that itch. I worked at Google for a couple of years, realized that the world wasn't so binary. Back then, I thought I'd go off and do something in the primary care space. Um, I wanted to build the Starbucks for primary care, just to, you know, something that mixed tech and medicine and enrolled in Harvard's MD MBA. And this, in this amazing kind of comical chain of serendipity, they require that as you progress through that program, you take an internship that's a mix of business and medicine. And for my time working in the Valley, I had known some of the people at IDEO came out there for the internship, uh, while there came up with the idea for Amada and started the company. Uh, ask the dean at the med school for a year off, another year, year three, and then seven years later, here we are. So that's a you know a circuitous journey. You never know which way life will take you, uh, but it's been a ride. No, you don't. Um, I do want to ask you sort of a sidebar question because as I was thinking about it, um, when you were at Google, which is now Alphabet, uh, or part of Alphabet, I guess, um, it didn't really have the health offerings that it does today. And so now they have Verily, and we're talking to another guest later today about CityBlock, um, did you ever foresee that Google was going to head down that path or did it feel like it just wasn't uh, a reality I, when you were there back? I could have, I could have imagined that. I mean, at, at that point, Google had Google health, which was like their personal health records attempt. And that was kind of going on. Um, the reason I could imagine it for anybody who's ever met or knows, uh, Larry and Sergey, uh, these people are some of the most deeply ambitious individuals and innovators you will ever find on the planet. Um, and there is no stone of innovation that they will, are not willing to turn over. So uh, I think that every company and culture and CEO and leader has a different approach there. Um, uh, the Larry and Sergey approach is that's great. And how do we make this transformational for society? So I could easily imagine that something like what is happening would happen even from back then. I will say it's funny to hear a guy that is dual degreed from two of the best colleges in the world um, has, you know, working as the CEO and, uh, 
and co-founder of a company is saying that they're ambitious and innovative. So you you probably are being a little bit modest on that front. I know you're not quite at the Larry and Sergey level yet. But. Well, and then, you know, like like anything, the and, I, you know, I feel like these orgs that are getting into healthcare, the ones who will succeed are the ones who actually empathize with the system, uh, you know, recognize the complexity and embrace it and dive in versus try to go around. Uh, really be thoughtful about the physics of both the business model and biology of health. Um, and, uh, you know, that like that, that can in, engender success in these uh, organizations. Absolutely. And, yeah. No, I think that's, that's hundred percent true. Um, so speaking of innovation today, you know, you are leading one of the fast companies, 50 most innovative companies in the world. Congratulations. Um, talk a little bit more about Amada Health's mission and purpose. Sure. So, uh, in you know, in the U.S., we're in an unfortunate situation, and really across the globe, where uh, more people are dying from preventable disease than infectious. Uh, in large part, it's thanks to obesity-related chronic diseases. So, when you gain weight, you get diabetes. You know, well, pre-diabetes, type two diabetes, uh, high cholesterol, hypertension, really metabolic diseases, and uh, it causes an extraordinary burden on health, of course, and economics of the system. Um, in large part, you can you can impact uh, these conditions. Uh, most of the evidence to show that it is possible has been done through in-person programs, and you can think of Omada almost like a digital clinic, if you will, for these early obesity-related chronic diseases, where we don't have you drive in. Um, we support you with our technology, our tools, our content, our coaching, our social structures, and all the bits and pieces needed to help you needed to help you lose a little bit of weight in a very behaviorally furled way, and address uh, your chronic conditions. Um, uh, ideally, in the spirit of preventing them at all, or if you have them, reducing progression through. So this sounds like uh, I know one of your lead products is called Prevent, and it's a 16-week. This is impressive CDC recognized program yep. that lowers the participants' risk for obesity. So, um, using the tools and techniques that you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. The, the way the Omada pro, it's called the Omada program. Now, that was actually you you must have read our trials. So, in our trials, we called it the, the Prevent program. Um, the way it works is we first mail people uh, hardware. We get them a digital scale with a cell phone chip. We match them into groups. So there's peer support. We pair those groups with coaches. Uh, we kick them off on a timeline upon which there's a core program, which is the first phase. Week by week through this, we're unlocking lessons. We're changing things as people go. Uh, and it creates an experience where you're not alone. There's clear goals. There's timelines. There's accountability. There's support. There's tracking. You know, all the instruments in the symphony that hang together in an elegant way because we built every single one in-house um, allow for a binary decision. Do I or don't I want to do the program? And all the requisite support that uh, enables someone to have some success. That's great. Uh, I mean, that's, I love this bringing together of technology and analytics and tools and people and, 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 yeah. and, people and bringing it to the people, <laughs> uh -huh. right? Yeah. I mean, that really seems like that's a, a big theme. Um, one of the things that you guys have done that I was reading a little bit about was um, the government is always a little bit of a tricky beast to work with. Yep. And you guys have successfully influence the federal government to provide reimbursement in the space that you work yep. in. Talk a little bit about that process and how hard was that to pull off? Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, you know, always, always a complex thing to navigate and, and still ongoing. The, um, you know, Amato works at the Medicaid level. We have like 11 state, 11 Medicaid contracts that are demonstrations in large part. We have a clinical trial going in that population. Um, at the Medicare level, we have a, a year-long clinical study that shows enormous outcomes in seniors and uh, there has been a lot of pull uh, from us and others in the senior community and the, and the Medi Medicare policymakers to reimburse for these sorts of programs because 
their cost savings. Uh, you know, all the economic analyses that CMS has ever done show that they save money. And the diabetes crisis in 65 plus is extraordinary. Uh, you know, you see this just progress year over year. It's uh, a tragedy, uh, the epidemiology. And so we've been advocates. We partnered up with the American Medical Association, um, who are advocates. We're the lead in what's called the Diabetes Advocacy Alliance, which is the leading advocacy group for diabetes in the U.S. And spent a ton of time in D.C. thoughtfully working to articulate a vision for why programs like this are needed, not just for the health, but for the economics of Medicare and also why digital is needed to enable access. So we're blessed and happy with CMS's first step of reimbursing in person um, and are now working to get them to that second step of reimbursing the digital component. So, Well, kudos. Um, I do want to touch on something. So we've talked a little bit about data and certainly data is a topic that's coming up regularly yep. at this conference. Um, you did an interview with Fortune, and you talked to them, and you said it's not about the data itself, it's how you use it. And then you said something that was really interesting to me. W2O is a big, we, we have 110 analysts, so uh -huh. we take data very seriously. Um, you said the types of data that are going to be the most useful going forward is the in-between data. So that's what happens between the actual healthcare visits mm -hmm. and you know what gets collected. So talk a little bit about that, because I think sometimes people forget about that in-between yeah. data and how important that is. Well, especially in the behavioral science space. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, the space of medicine, I guess you can think of us sitting in, is behavioral medicine, where, you know, in, in the arc of medical innovation there, a lot of that was done blind in that you can't measure and analyze every single moment of a practitioner patient interaction if you're treating a clinical grade phobia right or through exposure therapy or whatever the therapy is for that so the moment that you start to be able to architect all the data signals of how someone's engaging you in your intervention um, you're able to massively change how you personalize and how you shape what you do according to them uh, how you monitor to look for slips look for success areas where you can double down uh, and really create this level of a program where someone joins and they have this like amazingly eerie feeling that this program was built for me and then have it be malleable in time as they progress. And, and those are the in-between data moments that in our space uh, have not yet been possible to A, collect or B, analyze and then C, once you analyze and take action on scalably, um, which is why it's a super fun time in, in the digital health space and in our category. Do you see a time horizon for when we truly crack that nut? Or I know that's oh, it's happening debates. so fast. It's yeah. well, I, you know, in terms of using in between data, every single day at Omada, you'll see that. I mean, we've run fifty what we call like internal randomized controlled experiments where we tune and tailor different features in the program, like monitor if it has a success that we'd want it to, use that to input whether we roll it out to everybody, a subset, et cetera. So. Um, uh, you know, it's happening. It, it took a while. Like we're now, we've now enrolled over 150,000 participants. We have over 30 million weight readings, you know, billions of data points. Um, and so it's happening. If anything, it's accelerating and your innovation velocity is directly proportional to the data set that you have in our space. So I feel the pace picking up ever more quickly. So Maya, who is one of the people on my team that does the quotes when we promote this, Maya, that was your quote right there, Sean. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty profound what you just said, so um, thank you for sharing that. Um, back to the conference, I know that you said you've been tied up in a lot of meetings, but tomorrow you do have a chance to uh, participate in the program. Mm -hmm. yep. Let's talk a little bit about you know what you're going to be uh, talking about and helping out with. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled to participate in a couple of discussions uh, on uh, you know what, what might a future of healthcare look like if you take a really out-of-the-box point of view and 
Um, that's tomorrow, and we'll be discussing a concept that I've been thinking a ton about, which is, you know, I'm calling it, um, uh, and wrote actually a piece on this with Dr. Tom Lee from Press Ganey, um, in person as option B, where you might imagine a world um, that is different than the current world that providers live in, where um, if someone, a patient comes in with an ask of the system, doesn't matter what it is, the first thing one might do in tomorrow's healthcare world is try to figure out if there is a very fast and safe, efficacious way to solve that ask and remedy that need without having them drive in. And only upon realizing that you have to actually do have the person come in, do you put out that ask to a, a patient. And I think that that's, there's, there's subtleties. People call, people think of telemedicine in large part. That's, you know, Skype visit, real-time synchronous. This is a different concept culturally in that if you designed an entire system built from scratch to think of in-person as option B, obviously it's there, and if the person wants it, they can, but they don't have to, what might healthcare look like? So that, that'll be a pretty fun discussion tomorrow. That's cool, and I guess I'll ask you the same question I just did. You know, when do you see that flip where it does the in-person does become the secondary? Is that in, and I know the answer probably yep. depends on is it a developing country or a developed uh -huh. yeah, country, sure, but sure. you know, what does that time horizon look like? Do you think? Um, I, you know, I'd say five years or five, ten years. Wow. Okay. Uh, it'll be. I think it'll become come in that in that world. What it's interesting. What needs to hang together to make that happen is on the way there. Like you have to have the ability for providers who want to do that to align payment contracts so there's no dissonance in the various type of like pay payers that you have so you know in, in today's world you can do that better than before you can go to the you can go sign up for macra and a an amp you can go to your commercial payers and say these are the sorts of risk contracts i want to strike i want them all to align so you can have more agency in how you structure your risk deals culturally you're going to need an organization to prove it out and show that doing so not only is better for uh, the business, it's, but it's better for patients, it's better for winning market share. And the moment that I think we get either a like a, a system like a Providence or a, you know, a, an existing big system, like doubling down in this and showing um, highlights and winning the market against their competition because they're just creating an elegant experience. The moment that either that happens or an upstart that starts to like really figure it out, or one medical, uh, you know, otherwise builds a locus of patients, um, you know, shakes the the foundations a bit. Um, the moment one of those two things come true, you'll see a bit of a catalyst um, in in where where it's going. And because the patients want it, in you know, it's funny in in the room here and in this conference, you ask people, does the passage of ACA feel like infinitely forever ago or like semi recent? Most people I think would say, oh, I mean, yeah, it was a long time ago, but it's not that crazy far ago. Um, if you look at the percentage of phones, mobile phones that were smartphones at the time of passage of ACA, it was 17%, now it's 80. Massive changes in how people are using tech. And if you think about expectations, um, in today's world, no one would think about going into the bank to deposit a check, and it's table stakes for every single banking app to have mobile deposit. Um, so there's a pull that consumers will continue to, to, to forward and further in all industries and healthcare is going to feel it. And when someone recognizes that pull, identifies it as something they can latch onto, align their contracts accordingly and produces an experience that matches that pull, they differentiate th themselves in the market and they pull all the competitors forward. So I, I believe it, it's, you know, it will happen. It's not, 
it's not going to be quick, but I, I, that's why I'd say five to 10, but I think it's in sight. So yeah, no, that's very cool. Um, I'm going to ask you a question and we can delete this if you don't want to answer it because this is a surprise (laughs) one, but Uh there's been a lot of talk recently about Amazon's sort of foray into the space and you seem like someone uniquely informed and positioned to be able to have some sort of commentary on, do they make a meaningful sort of play in the health market Uh in uh some of the places that we're talking about? I think they, I think they will. Uh, it's so the way that I think it'll happen, and this is all speculation, right? You know, I'm sure probably a billion different answers from every here in the conference. Um, I, I think the the thing that they've done with Berkshire and J.P. Morgan is neat. You know, it's not that that I don't think is the core. That that I view as a playground for them to learn. Um, uh, so, and it's not the reality is because those lives are scattered across the U.S. There's actually not quite enough consolidated buying power. Um, to really hugely influence purchasing decisions with that. Yet what they will learn is a bit more about how healthcare operates. And if you ask me to distill the one reason why I actually think Amazon, above all other companies that are poking the space, could be successful, it's a quote by Jeff in the press release, which is, we recognize how incredibly complex this industry is. We're willing to be patient and we want to learn. And you see that from Amazon. You see that it's speculation, but in CNBC, there was a recent article like two days ago that said, well, Amazon, after inve- you know, investigating servicing hospitals with medical devices, recognized that a lot of these hospitals are part of GPOs and they own ownership in it and it's like displacing the legacy, so they're going to take a different route. And um, that level of fundamental curiosity, um, empathy for the complexity, and pragmatism above ideology uh, will enable Amazon to figure out how their unique capabilities can fit in. And I think when they see an opportunity, they are not afraid to strike and they have the balance sheet to do it. So I give that a, I I view it as a highly probable outcome that Amazon over the course of the next decade will do something very interesting in healthcare. That's a great answer. Um, Thank you for indulging me on that one. It is something, you know, I know Facebook, we could go a whole different direction, which I won't, but those are the places right now because they have such reach. Yep. I like that idea though of the patience and certainly the balance Mm -hmm. sheet. So I do want to shift gears to um, a few more slightly personal questions. Um, I like to ask these all the guests and the first one starts with what is something people don't know about you that you are willing to share? (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Oh man. And, I guess in in college, got the, you know I had some free time on my hands. Got a crazy idea to try to raise a little bit of money for charity um, for the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. My buddy and I broke the world record for crawling on our hands and knees, um, which I would not try to do again, <laughs> and not recommend to anybody that's listening. I was gonna say, how long did it take for those uh, uh, you know those scabs on your knees to heal? That was a bad idea. Yeah, that was a bad idea. It was for like forty eight hours of grueling, grueling. Uh. Um, but yeah, most people don't know that. <laughs> it's cool, but also that's crazy. So um, thank yeah. you. The second one is I do like to help people build their audio or a physical library. So any books that you've listened to oh, yeah. or read recently that you'd like to share? Oh man, um, you know for all the budding entrepreneurs out there or folks thinking about leadership management. I read a, I read actually reread, but high output management by Andy Grove. It's, it's an oldie, but a goodie. Um, it's very tactical, you know, there's tons of incredible tactics for how to build high performing teams. Um, it's really a beautiful read, uh, you know, and for a business book, it's like it actually helps. Yeah, <laughs> there's like real tactical information. Yeah, there. no, it's funny too because I you don't hear yeah. Andrew's name quite as much anymore, nope, but I yep, remember that uh, used to hear it quite a bit. So yeah, oldie but goodie. Okay, uh-huh. last but not least, then we'll let you go. Um, I like to ask everyone: you're stuck yeah. on a deserted island. You can only take one album with you to listen to forever. You know, which album would you pick and why? 
Um, awesome question. I think uh, Animal Collective, uh, uh, Meriwether, I don't know if you know of them. I do. Yeah. Heard, I don't listen to them, but okay. I know the name. Yeah. Just reason, reason being, it's one of those where I used to study to it, so it holds nostalgia. Um, it's It's like the songs are obviously different enough that you like the diversity but there's enough like consistency between them that you could run it for a long time and not get sick of it so that's a good choice yeah i think it has it has both the emotional side of being on a desert island and wanting to make sure i can like remember the good old days <laughs> of when i wasn't on a desert island and then it also i think has more lasting power than that's, something that's, that's a good choice a bit more poppy so. yeah well it's funny because i remember growing up my dad used mm -hmm. to listen we lived in May, uh, massachusettes yeah. at the time we had a wood stove and I would be studying, you know, late into the hours, and my dad would be listening to Steely Dan's Asia. Okay. And I had this love-hate relationship with it, but part of the love was, like, now I can look back and remember yep. all those songs. So, um, great choice. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Anyway, this is Aaron Strout, CMO, W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show. Uh, we're doing this live at the Health Evolution Summit. I just spent some uh, very cool time with Sean Duffy, co-founder and CEO of Amada Health. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for uh, having me. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.